the students, you're dismissed to go with Miss Francis and Miss Ivy. Welcome. Glad you're here today. I greet you in the name of my Savior. Thank you for uh, risking the rain, but most of you I know pretty well and would declare you're not going to melt, so uh, that's, you're safe. Uh, if you've got a copy of the scriptures, I wish you would turn to Luke chapter 17. Christopher, oh, very much, everybody, thank y'all. Bethany, wherever you are, thank, thank y'all very much. Bless you for your ministry in our lives. Um, we're studying through the life of Jesus, and we are coming to the end of his earthly life. Um, he is nearing Jerusalem for the last time, and... Um, I was just really reading through my Bible and came to this little, these two little verses in Luke 17, and it, it just really spoke to me, uh, and I thought that maybe the Lord would use it to speak to you as well. Um, the, verse, the two verses in Luke 17, 32 and 33 simply say, Jesus says, remember Lot's Wife in the in the Greek it's just three words, remember Lot's wife, and then he then Jesus adds, if you cling to your life, you will lose it, and if you let your life go, you will save it. Remember Lot's wife, release your cling to your life, you'll lose it, but if you release your life. Lay your life down. Let your life go. You will find it, keep it, save it. Um, various ways to say that. And Jesus is referring back to an event in Genesis um, where uh, Abraham, y'all remember Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, he had a nephew named Lot. And when God called Abraham to leave the land that he was from, and uh, he called him to, to follow God to the promised land, and what was really going on there is it wasn't just that God was moving a man from one geographical point to another geographical point. He was doing that. But what was more significant was by following God from his family and home, his familiarity, his safety, his uh, 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 a life that he knew and a life that had certainty, that a life that where he, he had every reason to believe he was going to do great. And God was asking him to move from that life to a life that was absolutely unknown. A life filled with risk, danger, unpredictability. Uh, a life where he would have to let go. Let, Abraham couldn't stay where he was and follow God to the promised land. He couldn't cling to his mom and dad, his siblings, his, his family, his friends, he couldn't cling to that and experience the life that God had for him. 
And so Abraham said, God, I'll follow you. And what was going on there was that Abraham was saying, God, I accept this covenant relationship that you are offering me. It's more involved than that, but for the sake of our time today, Abraham left home and followed God. And in the process of doing that, Abraham embraced a covenant relationship with the God of the Bible. But something else happened. Abraham had a nephew. And for whatever reason, we don't really know why, Lot saw in Abraham something so different, so unique, so appealing, so attractive, that Lot said, I want to go too. Uncle Abraham, could I go with you? I'm willing to leave. I'm willing to, to no longer cling to my life. I'll, I'll release that. I'll lay that down and I will follow you not only to a new land, but I'm following you into a covenant relationship with God too. Huge deal. And Abraham said, come on. And they traveled to the promised land. We don't have time today to go into all that happened, but there came a moment where Lot made a decision, a huge decision, to leave the promised land where he had been living with his uncle, where he was enjoying the blessings of God, but more important, where he was enjoying a covenant relationship with God. He chose to leave that life and to go down into the Jordan River Valley, not too far away. You could see Sodom from up where Abraham lived. Now, it was 20 miles away, maybe, but it was, but you could see it. And um, Lot decided to move to Sodom. And so that's the, that's the context of the background of these words when Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. And then he says, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. And if you let go of your life, you'll save it. Let me just give you just a little background real quickly. Sodom. That name, everybody in this room knows the, the, the name of the town, Sodom. Um, it is probably the most second, uh, it's probably the most, other than the, the town of Jerusalem, the city of Sodom is probably mentioned more in the Bible than any other town. Uh, not including Jerusalem. It's mentioned from Genesis all the way to Revelation. In fact, I would suggest... No, I was going to say you're hard-pressed to find a book where it's not mentioned. That's not true. But it's mentioned hundreds of times. And that's very important. It's a very prominent town, not in its significance as a town after, after what happens with Lot and his wife, but it, the meaning, the significance the, the message behind the town of Sodom is very, very significant. Like I said, it's the most mentioned city uh, in all of the Bible outside of Jerusalem. And it's always mentioned, always mentioned, always mentioned in the context of the place of ultimate evil. It's a very bad place. So 
automatically, little antennas ought to be raising up in your head. Why would someone that is walking with God in a covenant relationship with God, why would somebody that is walking with the people of God, experiencing the blessings of God in the presence of God, why would he leave that and move to a place that then and throughout the Bible was uh, uh, the symbol of wickedness. It's a huge question. It's a significant question. Sodom was a city that was, uh, it had a twin city, sort of like Minneapolis, St. Paul, that kind of a thing. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, they were twin cities near each other, uh, and they had a treaty and all that kind of stuff. But uh, they were located, remember I've told you so many times that you have in Israel on the east side of the promised land, you got this huge valley that the Jordan River runs through, and you got at the top the Sea of Galilee, then you have the Jordan River, and then that connects down to another sea called the Dead Sea, and it's the lowest place on the earth, just so you know that. And Sodom and Gomorrah were down... Uh, at the very bottom of this Jordan River Valley. They were literally, now I'm not making this up, Sodom and Gomorrah were at the lowest point on the earth. Coincidence, I guess. Uh, They were at the bottom of the Jordan River Valley and they were located at the crossroads of trade routes, the largest trade routes in the world at that time. They were the three trade routes that connected Asia. Let me do it this way. Asia and Europe and Africa. And so all the caravans traveling from Asia and Europe to Africa or Africa to Asia and Europe, they would naturally be funneled through this, bless you, through this valley, through this deep valley. And so Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom in particular, was a very significant, prominent, prosperous, successful, wealthy town in that day. Incredibly wealthy. Incredibly prosperous. They had a a flourishing population, a flourishing culture, and, and an especially flourishing economy. And as I said, it was, uh, in that day, it was infamous if you will, for wickedness, debauchery, excess, and decadence. It was, if you've ever seen any movies where those old in the 20s, those, those seafaring wharf towns, you know, where the ships would come in and, and all the sailors would get off the ships and wild living, that, that's the image that reflects Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and Lot... Abraham's nephew, he decides one day to leave the promised land, to leave a journey with the, with the man that had introduced him to and was responsible for his spiritual destiny, a, a covenant relationship with God, and all the blessings that went along with that relationship He decided to leave that life in the promised land and move to Sodom. Why? 
That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem smart. Who would do that? I'll tell you who would do it. Sodom, history tells us, was so wealthy that you have to keep in mind that in that day and time, as today in our world, other than in the West, where we have ridiculous wealth, nobody in the world eats meat on a regular basis. Nobody in South America eats meat on, on a regular basis. Nobody in Africa eats meat on a regular basis. Nobody in India or Asia eats meat on a, re- on a regular basis. Only the wealthy eat meat every day. What, was, what is true today was true then. People were poor. And so for there to be a city where people were wealthy, what that meant is that they could eat meat every day. And they paid a premium, premium for it. And so Lot made a decision. His job, I didn't mention this. His job, he was a shepherd and a herdsman. He raised and sold cattle and sheep. There was no place on the planet that was more, more full of potential for great financial uh, success than moving your cattle business, your sheep business to a place filled with people and filled with wealth who had great opportunity to sell them meat. And that's exactly what he did. And as far as we can tell, it was a wise business decision. He hit the mother load and was, he turned a business into an empire. He chose to leave a covenant relationship with God and a relationship with the one that he had discovered that relationship with God with. He chose to leave that for an opportunity to experience great success and great wealth. Um, he did good. So well that there came a day when he was able to pretty much hire out all of his duties, all of the management of his, of his empire. And he, as so often is the case, just like this dude that, what's the fellow that uh, owns Starbucks? Now what's he doing? He's hit the mother load. One of the wealthiest dudes on the planet. What's he doing now? He's transitioning. Well, our president, for that matter. Trans- these guys make it big, and they transition from making money to politics. And that's exactly what Lot did. It says in Genesis that Lot was sitting at the gate. Anytime the Bible talks about somebody sitting at the gate, what they're communicating is he's a town leader. The leader sat at the gate. And so he's transitioned from his business empire to being a town leader, maybe even the mayor. So it's very important that you see these things. Uh, he now helps run the, the, the affairs of this town. Another character in this story, and that's Mrs. Lot herself. Okay? Bible only says, uh, the Bible mentions Mrs. Lot once in the Old Testament, 11 words, and once in the New Testament, three words. Okay, 11 words in the Old Testament, three words in the New Testament. Okay, that's all we know about her. But they're significant. They're significant words. And I want you just to, especially you ladies, I, I'm married to a, 
lady who went through this. And many of you have got Robin's. Robin, you here today? No, there you are. You, you just went through this, so you can sure identify. Um, the Bible mentions that Mrs. Lot and Mr. Lot had two daughters, and they were both engaged, which means that Mrs. Lot, first of all, being married to Mr. Lot, mayor of the town, if you will, she was very prominent. She was a, she was a very public figure. Everybody knew and on every uh, respected, she would have been invited to every party. She would have been on every uh, board. She was a very prominent uh, lady. She had a life of luxury. Uh, but most significantly in my mind is this is a lady who had two daughters and they were both getting married. Robin, is that a big deal when your daughter decides to get married? Really big deal, isn't it? And she had two of them. Think about where her mind was planning these two weddings. Picking dresses, food, menus, music, venues, bands, uh, uh, the, uh, her clothes, her daughter's dresses, all the th- flowers and invitations and the, all the things that would be involved in creating two perfect weddings. This lady was busy and she was consumed with a project that, come on, she, since a little girl, she had been dreaming of getting married She'd been dreaming of having daughters, and she'd been dreaming of planning these weddings. Terry, you understand this. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so that's, yeah, you need to see that, okay? You need to see. It's very important that we see that this lady has been for months consumed with the planning of these two weddings. And danged if one day, Two strangers who they ultimately recognize as angels, God's messengers, don't know that they recognized right there at the, at the beginning initially that they were angels, but they recognized that they were God's messengers. And these two messengers walk up to Mrs. Lot and her husband and her daughters and say, you need to leave this city and everything in your life because your world is about to be destroyed. See, it's important that we place ourselves as best we can into the lives of these people. What if somebody knocked on your door and said, God sent me, Beck, and I want you to walk. He, God has told me to tell you that God wants you to walk away from your hunting club, all your hunting your boat, your little uh, canoe down there on the Mississippi River. Um, God wants you to walk away from all of that w- right now. No, no, let's pray. Let's analyze. Let's get some second opinions. Let's discuss. You need to walk away right now because destruction is coming. That's what Ms. Lott was confronted with. That's what she faced. I find it really significant that throughout the Bible, God's 
God does a lot better with his what's. W-H-A-T-S. God does a lot better with his what's. Here's what you need to do. Than he does with his whys and his winds and his hows. God doesn't do good with those. Let's chat, Austin, about why you ought to do this. I'm a little deaf in that ear. Speak up, I can't hear you, God. Silence most of the time. When's this going to take place? I'm a little deaf in that ear. Could you speak up? I can't hear you. Silence. How in the world could this take place? Mary. I was just thinking of Mary. Mary, you're going to become the Father of God. Uh, God? I'm not Father of God, Mother of God. Forgive me. You're going to be the Father said to the Mother. But you're going to be the Mother of God. Thank you. And uh, need all the help I can get. And uh, uh, you're going to be the Mother of God. When? Where? How? God didn't tell Mary any of that. Just the what. You're going to be the Father, the, the Mother of God. God's real strong on his what's. Not so much on his when's and how's and where's. And he showed that very clearly with Lot and Mrs. Lot. What? What are you doing? What's going on? Where, where is this going to take place? How's this going to take place? When's it? You, here's the what. You need to get up right now and leave this place because destruction is coming. All God gave him was a what? All God gave him was a what? These angels brought a message from God that basically placed them in a situation where they had to choose between life and death, blessing and cursing, salvation and destruction. Lot, Mrs. Lot, you got to make a choice. You can either cling to what you know and love, or you can lay it down, let it go, walk away from it, and God is promising you that you will experience life if you do. You can cling to a lifetime of dreams, of hopes, of hard work, of sacrifice, of focused intentionality at what you've been trying to build and accomplish and achieve. You can cling to that or you can walk away. But if you choose to cling to it, destruction's going to come. If you walk away from it, God promises that you'll experience life. Luke 16, 32 and 33, just so you know. Remember Lot's wife. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. And if you lose your life, if you let your life go, you will save it. That is mentioned six times in the four Gospels. If you know me at all, you know that's huge for me. For God to say something once is all it needs. It's all it takes. Say it twice, 
That's a big deal. Say it three times. He says it six times in the four Gospels. Twice in Matthew, twice in Luke, and then once in Mark and once in John. There are very few things that all four Gospels mention. This is, this is one of them, and he says it six times. Um, I want to say three things to you real quickly, and then we'll try to end. Number one, I can't leave this or address this without at least mentioning, because it's a curious thing, or most of you are, if you're Bible curious at all. Sodom, Gomorrah, that's ominous. What was their real sin? Doesn't really have anything to do with my lesson today as directly as you might think, sort of an indirect end around. But what was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, everybody knows, don't you? Everybody knows what the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was, right? Of course you do. You learned about it in Sunday school and you heard the TV preachers and the radio preachers uh, and the dudes that hold up the signs uh, up in Washington denouncing everybody. Everybody knows what the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is, right? Let's see if you know. Let me read to you what God declared through Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 16, God says this. Listen. As surely as I live, says the Lord your God, Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness. And they allowed the poor to suffer outside the door. Now hold on now. That's not the sin that I was told was the big sin, the $54,000 sin going on inside of Gomorrah. And yet God declares that the big sins, the sins that led to the destruction and demise, now, I didn't really arrange this thunder uh, to go on, uh, but thank you, Lord. Thank you. Just, just be pondering. Anyway, nonetheless, um, God says in Ezekiel 16 that the sins of Sodom were their pride, their gluttony or excess, and their laziness. And they allowed the poor and needy to go without outside the door. It's very significant to me. As long as it was other things, it didn't really relate to me. In fact, I could get on the team that said, How dare you? How y'all are bad. Bad, bad people. Ooh. But then all of a sudden God says, Larry, the sins that I destroyed Sodom for, they included laziness. They included excess. They included pride. And they included walking by people on a regular basis that are in true need and not doing anything about it. And now all of a sudden, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, not so far away. In fact, it's dang near 
right in the center of my life. Um, the message of Sodom and Gomorrah, or the message, I'm sorry, of Luke 17 is not hard. Hard to understand. It's not, not you know, you'd have to be a babbling moron to miss it. Um, you, you, you can get it. I can get it. Ms., Mrs. Lot was challenged. Are you going to cling to the marbles of Sodom? Or are you going to trust me and follow me so that you can experience the diamonds of the promised land? Are you going to be willing to let go of that which... Robin, you remember not too many months ago, I talked to you every third day. There was only one conversation. She never once called me during all those months of planning that wedding and said, Hey, how's your, uh, your tomato garden doing, Larry? Or how's your grandson? Or how's your car running? Oh, no. There was only one subject that we talked about continually. Wedding, 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 wedding. And I'm not throwing stones. That's what every mama of the bride calls me. Yeah, I mean, that's what they call me about. What are we going to do about this? How are we going to handle this? What do you think we ought to do about I mean, that's what... This lady was faced with a choice. Are you going to trust the God that your husband and you have entered into covenant relationship with and walk away from that which you value so much? Or are you going to lay it down and trust Him and follow Him into a life of uncertainty, of scariness, but a life that God promises you, you'll be glad you entered into at some point in the future. Ms. Lott, she couldn't do it. When she was challenged with laying down that which she valued the most. Jesus is saying, remember her life. Remember what she was being asked to let go of and lay down that which she loved. Remember that she couldn't do it. And ultimately, that unwillingness to let go of what she valued most led to her demise. Same exists, young man, find in Matthew 19 in the New Testament, where Jesus is talking to this young man who is very open, very curious, very interested, very heartfelt desire to know and understand who Jesus is and and what Jesus was all about. He wanted God. He wanted. The blessings of God. He wanted a relationship with God. And then Jesus says to him, If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give all your wealth to the poor. And if you do, you'll have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. And then just like Mrs. Lot, 
But when the young man heard these words, he went away sad, for he was very wealthy. Jesus didn't say that that young man's wealth was wicked, evil, bad. Nowhere in the Bible does it insinuate that the two weddings that Mrs. Lot were planning were evil or bad. Weddings are good things. I love weddings. Weddings are wonderful. It's one of my favorite. There isn't anything that I do as a pastor that I love more than a wedding. It's, it's one of my favorite privileges. It's, it's, they're one of the ways. The point of this story is not that Ms. Lott was, she wasn't being asked to walk away from a crack uh, or a meth lab or, a, or, or, you know, some kind of a, a Nazi uh, promoting organization or something like No, no, she was being asked to walk away from something that was inherently, fundamentally good. I would say to you that most of the time, God not only doesn't want us to walk away from things that we delight in, God would like to get on board and help you accomplish them. He would like to help you experience them. He would like to give them to you. Generally speaking, in my life, the things that I have delighted in and desired the most have been things that God said, Larry, I, w- I want to help you get those things. I, I, it delights me to see you experience delight in enjoying them. God is not somebody that goes around saying, oh, Bethany wants so-and-so. It's a good thing, but I'm just a mean so-and-so, so I'm not going to let you have it. That's not, that's not the, 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 the MO of God. That's not the track record of God most of the time. But I, I don't know what to do today other than just declare to you, it's my job to remind us of all that God is, of all the qualities of God, and not just the ones that are the happiest and the most fun. And there are times, if this story means anything, if Jesus says, remember Miss Lot for any other reason, I think he's saying there are times when my plans and wishes and will and desires clash with what God wants. Doesn't mean they're bad or evil necessarily. But there are times when God's plans for me clash with my plans for me and I am faced with a choice. That's why Jesus says in Luke 18, I promise you that all who have given up home and wife and siblings and parents and children for the sake of my kingdom will be repaid many times over in this life and in the life to come. There are times when God says, I need you to trust me and I need you to follow me away from certain things that you value so very much. And I need you to follow me away from those things to a life that if you'll trust me, will be better. The marbles, you'll forget. The diamonds, you'll be glad you gained.
In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses said it this way, or God said it through Moses. Today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, blessings and curses, and I call on heaven and earth to witness what you decide. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving and obeying and committing yourself firmly to the Lord your God. This is the key to your life. If you will only love me and obey me, then you will live long in the land that I promised to give you and that I promised to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What is it that the messenger of God has spoken to you? Whether it's me or not, maybe it's from your own study of God's Word, maybe it's from someone else in your life that you respect as a spiritual voice. But has God ever given you a message like Mrs. Lot? I need you to walk away. I need you to walk away from that. Do you trust my love and do you trust my wisdom enough? I wouldn't come to you. I wouldn't speak this to you. If the blessings that you're going to gain completely overshadow and blind you to the loss that you will miss, that you'll miss out on. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Trust in my love. Trust in my track record. Trust in my sacrifice. Would I have given my son on the cross for you if I wasn't committed to your good and looking out for your best interest? Will I trust God's wisdom and his love more than I trust my confidence and passion for what I want and know is best? Will I value my relationship with God over my hopes and dreams and goals? Do not hear me giving you any kind of specific application for your life. I have no way of knowing that. But whether it's a relationship, some of you that are not married yet, there's going to be moments when God is going to ask you possibly, possibly, to walk away from a relationship that if you don't gain it, you know that your life is over. And yet God says, I beg you, I've got somebody else that makes Mr. Marble Mr. Diamond. It might be a job. It might be the the 
the opportunity to be vindicated or proven right or to get your way. And yet God says, lay it down. Walk away from it. Because if you cling to that, being right, getting your way, winning, you'll keep result in death. But it will not ultimately result in life. It'll result in death. But if you'll lay it down and walk away, oh, I've got stuff for you. You know the old saying, finders, keepers, losers, weepers? You know, in God's economy, it's keepers, weepers, losers, finders. When I'm willing to trust God and to walk away from things, some dream that I always knew was going to happen, some relationship, some act of faith, I believed my dad was going to be healed and he wasn't. You believed your career was going to go in a certain way and it hadn't. Whatever it might be. But times when God says, oh, this is going to be a death for you to trust me and follow me. I, I know I'm asking you to die. But isn't it lovely that in my economy as God, where there's death, it results in life. It results in life. I don't know how you're supposed to apply this. I believe that God wants you to apply it. I believe God wants you to hear this. For any knothead to risk all this bad weather to come in here today, surely God had a purpose. Surely God wanted you to hear this. Because either you're in the middle of it or you're going to be in the middle of it when you are faced like Mrs. Lot. You need to lay it down. Walk away. Even though you, everything in your body knows this is wrong. Because if you will, you'll experience life. I don't have time today. I just want to, my second point I wanted to add is this. If you read the rest of the story in Genesis, the impact of our unwillingness to walk away from the things that we are clinging to when we know God's told us to, it doesn't just ruin our lives. It ruins our children's lives too. Mrs. Lot and Mr. Lot, their choices to reject God's voice and plans, it destroyed their children. They wound up being, they just wound up with very terrible lives. Terrible lives. And I have to believe there was a connection. The greatest gift I can ever give my kids is to say, God, I'll follow you. I don't understand I'm scared. I don't like this. I beg you to change this. But I'll follow you. When children grow up in homes, seeing that and hearing that, you know what they become? Isaacs. 
basics. His dad said that. God, I don't understand this. I don't like this. This is confusing as Hades. But you've told me to take my son and offer him as a sacrifice. And Isaac watched his dad raise that knife. And Isaac's life was never the same. Never the same. He became a prince. A prince of God. I want you to think about that. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Um, hello. Um, would y'all like to come up and help me? Please. Michael, Terry. Oh, I'm sorry. Michael, you're right. Would, Gary, would you and Barbara come up here and help me? How about that? That'll be good. Sorry. I got, I'm, I'm taking up my prayers. So um, if you would like prayer during the Lord's Supper, there'll be people on my right and my left who would love to pray for you. Please don't leave here and not be prayed for if that's your need. Please let them pray for you. They'll pray in faith. They'll pray confidentially. They will pray earnestly. Let them pray for you if that is your need. We're going to take wines, purple, and the yellow's juice. We're going to take wine and juice, and we're going to take bread, and we're going to eat, and we're going to drink, and we're going to remember God's ultimate proof that when he calls us away from things we love, he's calling us toward things that are even better. John chapter 12, verse 24 says this. Jesus says it. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will remain alone. But if it dies, it will create a great harvest. God takes death and produces even greater life. That was proved in the life of Jesus when he died and rose again. And he promised that if you will believe in me and trust me and follow me, when you die, I'll make sure you rise again as well. If that's your belief, you come and eat bread, which represents Jesus' body, and drink wine or juice, which represents his blood. Remember what Jesus did for you and give thanks. You come.